Welcome to the Living Room Podcast. The Living Room is the college ministry at Buckhead Church in Atlanta, Georgia. For more information, you can check out the Living Room ATL on Instagram. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this talk. I mean, a song, a worship like that, it just it has this way of just filling you up immediately. Those songs of encouragement, those songs that remind you that God is seeing you, he is for you, he is on your side, and he will never let you down. Now, if you're in this room and Christ is not your firm foundation, you hold on tight because he wants to be. And you have every opportunity, even now, to say, Jesus, I don't feel like I have a firm foundation, but I would really love for you to be mine. And all you need to do is just let him know that. And he's right here. He's available and he's ready. And he will be your firm foundation. Amen? I'm sorry. I just can't help it. They shouldn't have led worship so well. It was awesome. Y'all doing okay today? All right. I'm excited. I am excited because we are continuing in this series that was started last week. We started talking about the struggle bus. How many of y'all know what the struggle bus is? Don't, don't fake it. Y'all know, you know what the struggle bus is. That's right. <laughs> well, we kicked off this series last week. You're talking about the struggle bus. And here's what I think is, is so cool about the struggle bus. Everybody automatically knows what that is. There are two things that are very sure in life. Number one, that we need air to breathe. And number two is that all of us at some point have been, currently are, or will be very soon on the struggle bus in the very near future. And especially you guys, my heart goes out to you, especially you guys in this particular season of your life. You're right here in the middle of of, of the midterm season and all these things are going on and spring break is right around the corner. And I know y'all, oh, somebody's excited about spring break. I know, I know you're excited about spring break and you don't wanna have to do anything on spring break. And so a lot of you probably are right now just cramming, trying to get everything done before spring break happens as much as you can. And you're going to do a lot of cramming when you get back to prepare because the finals are right around the corner. So I I, I get it. It's, It's the hustle. It's the grind. We all understand what that is. But we said last week that when you're on the struggle bus, there's certain things that just isn't going to change that. A nap is not going to fix it. A good, strong cup of coffee is not going to fix it. Going to bed early is not going to get you off the struggle bus. In fact, you can actually feel it. Sometimes you start to feel that you're on this struggle bus. You kind of lose your rhythm, and you eventually start to realize that it's taking a toll on you, on your mind, on your body, on your soul. And ultimately, it drains you, and it depletes your soul, your very innermost being. Did you know that your soul can get tired? Your soul can actually get tired. And when left unchecked, all of the hustling and all of the busyness, it it transforms into this runaway life where you're doing and being pulled in so many different directions and your soul starts to grow tired. And now I get it. We know everybody is busy. But when your busyness turns into hurry, what feels most urgent starts to drown out what's actually most most important. Things like relationships start to get neglected. 
All of the disciplines that you've been working on so hard, they start to just kind of fade away. And you're not paying attention to those things anymore. And even our faith starts to get neglected. And it's, 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 it's like we feel like we're superheroes. We can handle it all. I don't need nobody. I don't need, to, I don't need all this other stuff. I'm a superhero. I can handle it all. Everybody likes a superhero, right? Y'all like superheroes? What are your, some, of your, some of your favorite superheroes? Who? Say, huh? Spider-Man. Who else? Captain America. There's a lot of heroes in the room. Who? Darkwing Duck. Black Panther. Oh. Well, my superhero makes the Black Panther look like nothing. My superhero is Elastigirl. Come on, you can't get no better than that. And the thing is, we all got superheroes. She's mine. And one of the things I love the most about her is her ability to be pulled in every direction, right? She's got Jack-Jack over here trying to get him out of trouble, and she's fixing the car's carburetor with this, with this toe, and she's got all this stuff going on. She is a superwoman, but I love her flexibility, and what I love the most about that is her ability not only to just stretch and do all these things, but she got that snapback. She's stretched, but she comes right back, just like a superhero. But, you know, that's what fairy tales are made of, right? Because truth be told... In our reality, we ain't got that kind of step back. Being pulled in several different directions isn't really a good thing. In fact, back in the Middle Ages, as a form of torture and punishment, certain governments actually would tie each limb of a prisoner to a different horse. And when they sound the signal, the four horses would take off in four different directions. I know, right? That's a major torture. And different, several different countries would utilize this form of torture. And they had different names for it across the way, but the French, who used it more often than not, I'm sorry if you, if you like French in here, but the French who used it more often than not, they had a name for that type of torture that I believe is the root of our tired souls, of what makes our souls tired. And they called it distraction. They called it death by distraction, constantly being pulled in a number of different directions. And unlike Elastigirl, the end result is an inability to keep it all together. And truth be told, death by distraction is actually a danger and a threat for all of us. Every single one of us are privy to death by distraction. And what we're going to discover tonight is that one of the subtle enemies of the soul that will slowly but surely sabotage many, many areas of your lives, of our lives, are the distractions that are constantly pulling us in all different types of of directions. So, before we go forward, I want to make sure it's really clear how we are defining distractions. Distractions 
are that which pull our attention away from what matters most. Let's be clear. Distraction is anything that pulls our attention away from what matters most. I think of it as, I like to call it squirrels. Y'all ever driving down the street? You know where your destination is and you focus. You got exactly where you're going. And then all of a sudden, some squirrel just comes off the side of the road and you just like trying not to hit the squirrel. It ain't my fault. You got ran over. The squirrel was not supposed to be there. I had a focus. I had a direction. I knew exactly where I was going. And I was on course, but this squirrel just kind of comes out of nowhere. And those squirrels don't just pop up on the street. They pop up in our minds. They pop up when we're trying to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you so much for this day. Did I, did I turn the dryer off? Oh, Father, I'm sorry, Lord. Lord, I want to thank you for the day I asked you to help me on this test. I really want to get an A in this class. Did I call my, did I call my mom back? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yes, Lord, squirrels all the time. You're sitting in class. You're trying to focus, and you've got these squirrels just coming up. Your teacher's trying to tell you all the things that you need to know for your test, and you're easily distracted. There are plenty of things that are vying for our attention everywhere. Sports vie for our attention. They're everywhere, especially in my house. I want to spend time with Mr. Farmer. And I walk out the room and I go up front thinking I'm about to spend some nice quality time with my boo thing. And then I look on the TV and it's basketball. I'm like, oh, let me go on back in the room. I'm not going to get any attention right now. It's a distraction, especially when I want to hang out. It's a distraction. And sports for you can sometimes be a distraction. You can't focus. You're not going out. Some people rearrange their entire schedule around what's coming on television. Ooh, we got some guilty people. I hear y'all giggling. What's another really major distraction? Something that's trying to vie for our attention. Very common thing. I heard somebody say it. This right here. Mmm. I know. Half of y'all not listening to me now because you're on your phone. I'm sorry. Did I call y'all out? My bad. Our phones. We got text messages coming in. The Lord is trying to speak to your heart and you replying back to that girl that you asked out the other day. Ah, ooh, somebody hit. I love it. These phones are constantly vying for our attention. Text messages, notifications, all of these social media apps, every time, did y'all notice this? Every time you download an app, the first thing it asks you, your phone asks you is, do you want to receive notifications? Doesn't it ask you that? And the first thing I'm like, absolutely not. If this thing vibrate one more time, my, my husband bought me an Apple watch and I said, send it back. I don't need nothing else around me. Vibrating, beeping, sounding off. Too many distractions. Social media is a guilty one. What about your boyfriend or your girlfriend? <laughs> did somebody did somebody say which one am I hearing things Lord you trying to study and get your work done and your girlfriend blowing up your phone hey can you, can you give me a minute I want to pass this test tomorrow but I ain't seen you all week I need some time with you you neglected me they're pulling for our attention. Video games. Some of y'all can't get to class because you up all night. Ooh. 
Like my mama said, a hit dog, a holler. All y'all hollering. Everybody. <laughs> but you know, also part of the problem is that a lot of us don't have the ability to say no. We say yes to everything. Every party. Yeah, I'll be there. Oh, you can say, oh, really? Yeah, I'm going to be there. Every church event, every activity that's going on, you sign up for every club. You, 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 you register for way too many classes. You know you can't take 10 classes in one semester. But you fill up your schedule and you say yes to every friend that asks you to hang out. When you know you've got work to do, you know you haven't taken care of the things that need to be taken care of and they're pulling you in so many different directions. Your plates are constantly filled with stuff. And these things are vying for your attention and becoming distractions in your life. And when you're distracted, what feels urgent starts to crowd out what's actually, truly important. Things that should have your priority in life don't. Relationships that need your full attention get maybe half of you at best. Your priorities are non-existent. You don't even have them. And your faith, I honestly think more often than not, our faith, our time with Jesus, cultivating our relationship with God, I think that's honestly for most people, the first thing that goes to the back burner. It does. It goes right there. And let's be honest. Oftentimes we tell ourselves that we've got it all under control. We can handle all these things. We can juggle all of these balls. But during any given semester, you've been pulled in so many different directions. And while you can push through and, 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 and get through for a significant amount of time, ultimately, you find out that you just can't do it anymore. And you're just wiped out. All of a sudden, your emotional health starts to suffer. Your physical health starts to suffer. Your mental health, your mental capacity to handle all this stuff you're starting to try to juggle, it starts to fade. And your relationships start to get weak. All of a sudden, that friend is not talking to you anymore, and you don't know what you did wrong. Your mama just constantly blowing your phone up, and you just don't want nothing to do with her. Leave me alone. And your spiritual health starts to fall apart. All because of these distractions. And all of a sudden you feel lost. You feel empty. You feel dry. You feel depleted. You know what that is? That's your soul being tired. That's your soul being tired. Sometime back there was a guy who, who made a comment. And he made this quote and he said, if the devil can't make you sin, I think we brought this up last week. If the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy because either way, your soul will shrivel. The enemy seeks to fill your life with so many distractions and have you pulled in so many different directions that your soul starts to shrivel up. And you get out of rhythm, out of step. You're emotionally and mentally and physically unhealthy and it all starts to fall apart and you find yourself on the front seat of the struggle bus. So, what do you do about that? I'm glad you asked. There's a story we're gonna talk about today. We find it in the Bible. And this story, I think, is a, a great depiction of how Jesus approached distraction. And we're going to take a look at the book of Luke 
It's chapter 10, and it starts here, and it says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. So here we have this scenario. We have two very drastically different pictures um, with Martha and Mary. You've got Mary. Jesus has just arrived at her sister's house and Mary done pulled up a seat. And Mary's sitting there. Don't pull your skirt down, April. Mary's sitting there and she's at Jesus' feet. She's listening to him. And it's almost like you can just see her like, ooh, Jesus is here. What's he saying? Oh, my gosh, it's him. It's that one that they've been talking about my whole life. My grandma used to tell me that this man was coming and his name was going to be the Messiah and he was going to be the Savior of the world. And, oh, my God, he's at my sister's house. Sitting here. She's here. She's in the, the, the posture of a disciple. All she wants to do is learn and glean from this man who knows all and sit at his feet and learn from him. She's eager to learn and to listen to him. She's just just waiting for him to drop all these wisdom nuggets. And then you have Martha. Jesus sitting right over there. Where's my hummus? Oh, God. Martha's doing all this busy work and she's distracted. Luke tells us all, she's just distracted by all these preparations that had to be made. And I get it. It was her culture. It's their custom. When you have a guest in the home, you make sure they're fed. You make sure they're well taken care of. It's the same way in my family. You take care of your company. When somebody's at the house, can I get you a cup of water? Can I get you something to drink? We got some Kool-Aid. We got grape. We got strawberry. You want a soda? We got a uh, Coke. We got Sprite. We got all that you need. You need a sandwich? You like mayonnaise on your sandwich? You want tomato and cheese? You take care of your guests. And this is exactly what Martha's doing. She's trying to get everything taken care of. And I get it. It was a custom. I remember the first time, um, my, the first Thanksgiving after my husband and I met, we went to Chicago. My son had um, moved to Chicago and he had his own apartment. He was all proud, his first place. And so he said, Mom, can you come to Chicago and, and, and host Thanksgiving dinner? I'm like, absolutely. I would love that. But I, I just met this man, and he hadn't met my son yet, and I was, like, so excited. And we get there, but, of course, my son is not cooking. He needs mama to cook. So while all these people are hanging out and all this fellowship is happening, I'm missing out on all the conversations. Why? Because I got some turkey in the oven. I got to make these collard greens. Somebody needs to get the stuff so I can mix and make this cake. I got all this business going on, right? My boyfriend come out like, what you doing? Why are you still in the kitchen? It's, like, 11 o'clock. Well, I got to make this cake and then I got some sweet potato pies. I got to slide in the oven. I got to stay up because I don't want them to burn. I'm distracted. All these things are going on. So this picture that's going on with Mary and Martha, it makes sense to me. I get it. And I'm sure a lot of you get it too. Martha is doing what you would do because that was her cultural custom. And it was appropriate. She wanted to honor her guest who was Jesus. But the whole time that Mary is soaking in this time with Jesus, Martha is distracted from time with Jesus because of all the things that she had to get done in this kitchen. So she looks over at her sister and she sees her and she's seemingly doing nothing. Like, what do you mean? Are you mean to tell me she just gets to sit there and do, any, do nothing? 
So I think Mary had just, I mean, Martha had just had it. And so she takes the time and she goes to Jesus and she came to him and it says, she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. She's telling Jesus what to do. And the way Martha said it, 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 the way she asked the question, like, don't you see her? Reprimand her. Tell her. She needs to be helping me. And obviously, by the way she said it, she's expecting Jesus to have her back. There's work to be done. But you see, Martha feels that all these things that she's got going on are urgent. She feels like those are the most important things and that her sister isn't helping. She finally brings it to Jesus and he looks at her and he says to Martha something that I think she never saw coming. She, Jesus looks at her and says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. He says her name twice. Did you notice that? He said, Martha, Martha. And he said it so lovingly, so full of compassion. He wasn't reprimanding her. He wasn't chastising her. He went with so much love and he was like, baby girl, sweetheart, you're worried about the wrong thing. I'm here. The savior of the universe is here. And he says that you are doing too much. Catch a breath. Slow down. I know you're upset, but Mary has chosen what is better. Sweetheart, you're distracted. Now consider Martha. Consider what she's missing. Jesus, the son of God, is sitting in her house. And Luke is very intentional about the use of the word distracted to describe Martha. There isn't really anything, it has nothing really to do about food. Martha's obvious agitation is a sign of something happening on the inside of her. And Jesus knows this. It's why he responds to her the way he does. He's not mad or he's not angry. He's just like, Martha, She's chosen better. He didn't say right or wrong. He just said that Mary chose better. He uses a comparative. He uses the word better. So it's not that Martha chose the wrong thing or that Mary chose the right thing. It's just that Mary chose the better thing. And you can recognize this even now. I mean, some of us choose an android while others of us choose an iPhone, which is better. You can choose chips and salsa. That's really good. I like chips and salsa, but you could also choose chips with guacamole and queso. Come on now, add some steak on top. Better, huh? Yeah, it's better. And we call this the distraction dilemma, you know? The distraction dilemma says even a good thing can distract you from a better, more important thing. 
See, Martha was doing a good thing, but Mary chose better. And Jesus wanted Martha to know that spending time with him was better. It was most important. It was a higher priority. And Jesus's point is using a comparative rather than saying right or wrong, that we should evaluate our priorities. That's what he's trying to tell her. We should evaluate our priorities. And so that's what we should do, which, which means that we, we, we take a survey of what we have going on and we figure out which parts are most important of the things that we have in our lives. And if we don't evaluate our priorities, then the urgent things, the pressing things that are going on always start to crowd out what's ultimately most important. And that's what priorities are. Priorities are things that are most important. And understand, we all have priorities. Whether you know it or not, we all have them. Martha had priorities. They just weren't the most important things. I have priorities, but maybe perhaps they're not the most important things. And that's the point that Jesus is trying to make in this text. Choose the better priority. You and I have the opportunity to do just that, to choose what's most important. So the key is to evaluate our priorities. And this is so important because if distraction is the enemy, then focused attention is the goal. If distraction is the enemy, then focused attention is the goal. But if you never ever think through our, or evaluate our priorities, then you have no idea what to focus your attention on, right? Does that make sense? And here's what's so cool about this is that when you prioritize properly and intentionally, you end up with more margin to do the things that you like to do, to enjoy the life that you're meant to enjoy and not be pulled in so many different directions by distractions. That's what it's all about. So what are your priorities? Do you know? Top five. What are your top five priorities? Have you ever thought about that? I hear some of you starting to think about it now. That's good. Some of you may not even know where to start. So I'm I'm, going to give you some examples, just things to think about. I'm going to share with you my top five priorities. Number one, my personal relationship with Jesus. It's my top priority. And I'll tell you more about why in a minute. Number two, my David which is my husband, Mr. Farmer. My David and my personal self-care. Number three, my job. I love my job. I love what I get to do, serving people, helping people, helping them navigate difficult seasons of their lives and relationships. I love my job. That's number three. Number four is my personal calling and ministry. Mind you, sometimes those are the same. Sometimes they're different. This is mine. This is just what April's. Top five are. Number five, my family. Y'all laughing at me? Y'all, like, y'all laughing at me for real. Like I heard y'all chuckle. Cause y'all laughing because my family's number five? My children grown. <laughs> ain't nobody worried about them boys. They hands are out my pocket. I ain't got to pay for them. I ain't got to take care of nothing. They a little lower on the totem pole right now. 
And some of these things may seem obvious to you, but let me tell you something. Let me tell you a little secret about your priorities. They shouldn't surprise you. None of these things should surprise you about my my priorities, and they shouldn't surprise you. And here's why. If your priorities aren't blatantly obvious when life is calm, they won't even be remotely apparent when life gets chaotic. You won't have a clue. So let me break this down for you. My personal relationship with Jesus is number one. Why? Because when this is my first priority, all the other stuff on my list gets better taken care of. I promise you. I tried it in other ways and it don't work. But when this is my priority, everything else gets taken care of. My David and my personal self-care are the same. You're like, why is that double? Why is your husband get, why don't he get his own spot? Because I was wrestling. I'll be honest with y'all. Because if I, if I separated him, he might be third. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Why? Because if I can't take care of me, I can't take care of him. If I can't love me right, how do I love him right? The Bible tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves, as ourselves. If I don't love me, how do I effectively love other people? But I ain't want y'all tripping on me, so I put them on the same level. <laughs> Then I already talked to you about my job, my personal calling. I love to do ministry outside of my job. I like mentoring. I like going and speaking and sharing and talking with people. And I do that outside of my work. So that's a big thing for me. I know that that's what God's called me to do. So it's on my priority list. And my family, I done told y'all, I ain't got to take care of my boys no more. They're grown. So that's what that is. And for all of you, you find yourselves, um, for all of you who find yourselves who have a, a problem saying yes to everything, When you know what your top five priorities are, saying no gets a whole lot easier. If you come to me with something that's not on my top five, it's an automatic no. Nope, that's not on my priority list. And I know that's not easy to kind of say to people real, really quickly. So this is what I say. It's my real saved answer. Like, can you do so-and-so? You say, you know what? Let me, let me, let me, um, let me pray about that. And I'll get back to you. It's a great answer. And I do, but I realize if it's not on my top five, then it's a no. And when you prioritize, when your priorities are not blatantly obvious, life becomes quickly consumed by what's urgent. So your top five starts looking like this. What's urgent? Distractions. What's urgent? Distractions. What's urgent? Distractions. Because you haven't made them clear. And failing to evaluate and identify your priorities is, is, is punching your ticket. It's a one-way punch ticket to a front seat on the struggle bus. So when you don't know what your priorities are, everything will feel like one. So when you evaluate your priorities, you eliminate distractions and create margin. Right? So... We evaluate, eliminate, create. Evaluate, eliminate, create. One more time. Evaluate, eliminate, create. Y'all say it with me now. Evaluate, eliminate. Come on, put a tune to it. Y'all better sing. Do it again. I love it. You want to get off the struggle bus? Evaluate the priorities that you have. Eliminate distractions and create margin. And margin is where life starts to happen. Margin is where freedom is. Margin is where there's peace, 
Margin is where you got time to binge watch your favorite show on Netflix. Margin is where life happens. It comes to life. Where you can do those things that you desire to do in your heart. And when you put Jesus first on that priority list, it helps you figure out the rest of the things. You want to make sure that you prioritize your life. So, I want you to challenge, I want to challenge you to do something. I want you to take out your phone. Y'all know you got it. Take your phone out real quick. And I want you to start thinking about what your top five are. I want you to make a note wherever you go to make notes. I just want you to start the list right now. Just make my top five priorities. You can put your name there. April's top five priorities. Lisa's top five priorities. Just start it. Just put it in your phone. And I want you to take the time this week to think about what those top fives are. Think about it. Really important. I'd even encourage you to pray about it. God, what should be my top priority? Because I realize my life is kind of tired right now. I realize I feel so stressed out. And I want to make sure that my life is being lived on purpose. So what are my top five? And that may take you some time. But don't compare yourself to other people. It's a work in progress. And it can change over time, and that's okay. But take the time to start laying it out. And I'll go ahead and give you the first one for free. Make your relationship with Jesus your top priority. And I promise you, when you do that, you'll start living life a lot more free. And that soul won't be so weary. And I want to give you four quick nuggets of wisdom that I've learned along the way. Just to encourage you. The first thing, make your relationship with Jesus your number one priority always. Number two, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. You got two ears and one mouth. I think the Lord did that on purpose. Number three. Live life on purpose. Don't wander around aimlessly like a lost puppy. Live life on purpose. Figure it out. As you're walking through college and you're taking your classes, be prayerful. God, what is it that you call me to do? I don't want to be distracted by how much money the job makes. I don't want to be distracted by the status that comes with this particular role. I want to live my life on purpose. And number four. Tomorrow is always fresh with no mistakes in it. Always. Now imagine what could happen in your life if you really took this challenge seriously. How much more productive could you be? How much more fulfilled could your relationships with God and others be? How much more joy could you experience from living in the present moment? and not worried about all the other distractions that are going on in your life and that are having such an impact on your life? How could your story impact somebody else's story if you took the time to make these priorities and start living according to them? Something or someone is going to get your focus and your attention. My prayer is that we choose to be people who fight to focus on what matters the most. 
You guys pray with me? Father in heaven, how we bless you. We love you so much. And we thank you for bringing us here tonight to learn more about your heart towards how we live our lives. God, you know the distractions that come from so many different ways, so many different directions. But you don't want us to live our life out of focus and tired and weary and stressed and pulled away from the things that matter most. And most of all, you don't want us to live a life apart and away from you. You promised that as we spend time with you, that you will fill us, that you would lead us, that you would guide us. So God, help us just start there. Help us to focus on our relationship with you, on spending just a a small significant time with you so that we can hear from you, that you can rejuvenate us and give us peace and lift and relieve our weary and heavy souls. So I pray, God, that this week, as, as everyone dives into discovering what their top five priorities are, that you would give them wisdom and guidance, Lord, that you would eliminate the distractions that would keep them from this assignment and that you would make so clear to them what it is that you have for their top five and that as they create that list, that they will commit to that list. And if things start to come that don't align with those priorities, God, that they would say no. But most importantly, above above and beyond all things, that they would put you first, that we would always make you first. Because, God, you made us first. You picked us. You loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus to die for us. You made us a priority for you. God, help us every day to make you our top priority and live a life free of the distractions that would keep us away from you and living the life that you've called us to live. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoyed the message. If you want to stay connected, follow us on Instagram at the Living Room ATL. Remember TLR fam, we love you, we're for you, and we'll see you next time.